All right, so um, we are going to move into the message. And um, we have been in John chapter 10 forever, right? And I think we're going to finish today. But uh, do I click this? I do click this, okay. There we go, okay. So we've been in John chapter 10. And um, there's a lot of great stuff in John chapter 10, the security of the believer. Jesus holds us in his hand, promises that we cannot be taken. He is the good shepherd. We looked at his shepherding heart for his sheep. Um, But then in the middle of John chapter 10, in verse 35, as Jesus is defending his deity, that he is God, he says this, Scripture cannot be broken. He's just quoted a psalm, and then he says, Scripture cannot be broken. So, for the last couple weeks, we have been doing a little mini-series on Scripture, because, let's face it, we live in a society that doesn't believe in truth anymore. We live in a society that is, call it postmodern, call it relativistic, but we don't This society doesn't hold to truth anymore. And that has crept into the church. And guess what? You cannot have the same view of Scripture that Jesus had and not believe in truth. Scripture is the truth. So, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the inerrancy of Scripture, that there are no mistakes, no errors in Scripture. Then last week, we talked about how God has preserved Scripture for thousands of years. In other words, um, it hasn't been changed. He has transmitted it down to us today, and we can rely on it. Today, I want to talk about the canon of Scripture. You know, what, what is the canon of Scripture? The canon is the table of contents. How do we know that the books we have are the right books? Now, let's say you're a brand new believer, and you go, I should probably get a Bible. And you go to Barnes & Noble, to the religion section, there's all kind of wacky books there, some good books, some really bad books, right? But then there's a shelf of Bibles. And uh, there's, first of all, there's all these different translations, King James, New King James, NASB, ESV, NIV, ABCDEFG, right? And so there's the issue of translation. But then you will find Catholic and Protestant Bibles. And you go, well, shouldn't they be the same? So you, you pull one of each. You go sit down. You go get your Starbucks. Don't spill it on the Bible or you will explode. Okay, And you look at the table of contents. You know what you're going to discover? The books in the New Testament are the same, 27. But the books in the Old Testament are not the same. There are 39 in the Protestant canon and 46 in the Catholic canon. These are called the apocryphal books. Tobias, Judith, Barak, Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom, First and Second Maccabees. 
Which one do you buy? Now, if you're a cheapskate, this is easy. You buy the Catholic Bible because you get more books for your, your money, right? But maybe you shouldn't decide which books belong in the Scripture based on, on money. And this is the question of the canon. How do we know which books belong in the Bible? Okay. Now, here's what you're going to discover. Delving into this issue opens up a bigger can of worms dealing with the claims of the Roman Catholic Church because here's what Rome says. Since God used Rome to give us the Bible, that shows that Rome is the approved authority to interpret the Bible and the approved authority that we all need to be under. So, simple issue, going to go to Barnes & Noble, buy a Bible. Oh, there's more books in this one, less in this. Where, where do we get the books? The Roman Catholic would say, we gave them to you, and that shows not just what books are right, but whose authority you should be under. And if you're in a little evangelical church in the middle of a field today, you are in rebellion against God. That's my sermon today. Are you rebels? <laughs> Some of you are rebels just because you're rebels, all right? So that's a, that's a different issue, okay? But what are we to do with this claim? Now, I am not... I am not here to just pick a fight and be divisive or whatever. This is just a very real issue that you need to know. Like, do you drive on the right side of the road or the left side of the road? It's probably good to know that. This is, so it's not meant to be divisive, but to inform us about the Bible. Okay, now I'm going to ask three questions. All right, question one, which books belong in the Old Testament? Number two... When it comes to the books in the New Testament, were they determined or recognized by the church? And number three, has God given the church or the Bible as the ultimate authority? All right, now you go, I don't know if I can follow all this. Oh, this is important. You may not think this. You may say, I'm going to daydream and think about the bears or think. No, you need to know this. You should know this by now, but we need, we need to know this. This is important stuff. So here we go. Number one, which books, of, uh, which books belong in the Old Testament canon? Okay. Now again, Catholics and Protestants agree on the 27 New Testament books, but are there 46 or 39 Old Testament books? And by the way, these, um, these Old Testament books, or the question of the Old Testament books, these books, the 39, most would agree were written by 400 B.C. These were written in between, in, during that 400-year period. Okay? So, um, you wonder, yeah, where do they come from? Most of them come from that 400-year intertestamental period. Now, I'm going to give you five reasons why we should not except the 46, and we should accept the 39, okay? Number one, Jesus affirmed the 39 books of the Old Testament. Uh, let's put it this way. 
the Jews of Jesus' day, their canon was the same as the Protestant 39-book canon. And Jesus says this in uh, Luke 24, 44. He's on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples. He sits down and eats with them. And he, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus just doesn't just say everything about me in the Bible, but he divides the, the Bible into three categories. Now, the Jews divided their canon into three categories, the law, the prophets, and the writings of the Psalms. Okay? Now, they ordered them differently than we order them, okay? and they numbered them differently, but the law, the prophets, and the Psalms is another way of saying the canon, the Old Testament canon, which was identical to what we have today. Right? Another place Jesus hints at this. He's condemning the Pharisees, and he says, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Now, in English, you might say, oh, he's being clever. All the blood of, from A to Z, right? No, 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 no. Who was the first person murdered in the Bible? Abel. Okay, so he's starting with Abel. And remember this name, Zechariah. If we go back to this chart, here's how the Jews ordered their Bible. Genesis is the first book. has the story of Cain and Abel. The last book, Second Chronicles. The last person martyred is who? Zechariah. The blood from Genesis to Second Chronicles. Right? So, Jesus' Bible had 30, the 39 books that our Bible has. Second point, Josephus, who's a first century Jewish historian, he also affirmed the 39 books that we have in our, our Old Testament. Um, he wrote this. Now, he was not a believer in Jesus, but he was a Jew, and he wrote the history of the Jews uh, during the first century. He says, we have but 22 books, and again, they order them and number them differently, but those 22 books are the identical books of our 39. But we, uh, we have but 22 books containing the history of all time, books that are justly believed in, the books of Moses, the prophets, and hymns to God, or the Psalms, same category. So the Jews' canon lines up with the Protestant canon, Okay. The apostles affirmed the 39 books of the Old Testament. This is a quote from Robert Plummer, who's written on this issue. While there are some debatable allusions to the Apocrypha, those questionable books, in the New Testament, New Testament authors nowhere cite the Apocrypha as Scripture. That is, with a formula such as, the Scripture says, or thus saith the Lord, Almost every book in the Old Testament is cited as Scripture. You say, almost, which ones aren't? Ruth, Ezra, Song of Solomon. Okay? Um, but no apocryphal book 
is quoted in the, in the sense of thus saith the Lord or scripture says. Okay, number three. Jerome distinguished between the canonical and apocryphal books. You go, who's he? Well, Jerome was the guy who translated the Bible into Latin. It's called the Latin Vulgate. And if you were raised Catholic, um, you would hear reference to the Vulgate, the Vulgate, the Vulgate. The guy who translated it made a distinction. He did this in eight, uh, 382. St. Jerome distinguished between canonical books and ecclesiastical books. Okay? Canonical inspired, ecclesiastical just church books. The latter he judged were circulated by the church as good spiritual reading but were not recognized as authoritative scripture and that's from the New Catholic Encyclopedia. So Jerome himself, as he translated, said uh, the apocryphal books are in a different category than the inspired books. And then, number five, Rome officially affirmed the apocrypha only after the Protestant Reformation. When was that? In the 1500s. So, the books, the apocryphal books, have always been around. They've always been read. Go ahead and read them. It's not going to kill you. Okay? Um, some interesting stuff in there, but they're not Scripture. Now, here's what happened. Martin Luther, uh, he started the Reformation, and then he was put on trial, and he defended himself, quoting Scripture. And he took a stand on Scripture alone, sola scriptura, and Rome said, well, but what about the authority of the church? Are you defying the authority of the church? And Luther said, well, if the church doesn't agree with Scripture, yeah. Um, and the, the presenting issue back then was indulgences, buying a piece of paper that would spring your relative out of purgatory. And Luther said, this is, this is nuts. And they said, who are you to question the authority of the church? And sola scriptura came out of that whole issue. And then after the Reformation, Rome got together and they had the Council of Trent where they condemned the Protestants. And at the Council of Trent, they officially said, here is the list of the canonical books and they included the Apocrypha. And it was really helpful because in the book of Maccabees, there are prayers for the dead. See how helpful it would be to include those books. But I find it interesting that the canon is not officially formalized until 1546. Right? Now there's five reasons why I would not accept the apocryphal books as Old Testament canon. Okay? Now, let's go to the next question. Were the New Testament books, and now that's the Old Testament, now let's move to the New Testament. Were the New Testament books determined or recognized by the church? You go, what, why does that matter? Oh, it matters, okay? So here, here understand this. The first century is when the apostles wrote the New Testament books. Second century is when they were running for their lives and hiding, but other writings were uh, were written, okay? Clement of Rome writes two letters to Corinth. Um, there's the Didache. The Didache was the first kind of instruction manual 
for the early church, the shepherd of Hermes. And lots of heretical gospels were written. Okay, um, Just read a Dan Brown book. You can find out all about those other books. Okay, So then there's a question. Which books are the true books? So in 367, Athanasius, remember him? He's the guy who said Jesus is God, and the Arians said, no, he's not God. And Athanasius stood up for Jesus being God at the Council of Nicaea. Athanasius wrote an Easter letter where he listed the 27 books of the New Testament. But a Protestant would say, he got them right, but that's great. He, he's not the determiner of the canon. He just recognized that those were the proper books. There were two early councils, Council of Hippo, Council of, uh, of Carthage. They also recognized those 27 books, but guess what? They were not universal councils. They were just local councils, so they didn't have universal authority. But, but by the end of the 300s, the, uh, the canon is becoming solidified, okay? Now, here's the question. When it comes to the finalizing of the canon, where does ultimate authority lie? In the church or in the scriptures themselves? In the church or in the scriptures themselves. In other words, did the church determine the canon, placing the church over the scriptures, or did the church recognize the canon, placing themselves under the scripture? Okay? So, a Catholic view would be this. Don't worry about all that. They would say the church gave us the Bible and determined which books are inspired. Therefore, it has ultimate authority to interpret it. That's part of their argument for authority. We gave, we gave you the Bible. Without us, you wouldn't even know what to read. We are over it. Therefore, we can interpret it, and you need to be under our interpretation. Protestants say the Bible is the ultimate authority. The church simply recognized the authoritative books, and the church is under the authority of the Bible. Right? So let me, give you, let me give you some keys to understanding this Protestant view. Okay? One, recognizing something is true, doesn't give the recognizer authority over that truth. Okay? Here, let me give you a simple illustration. The first disciples recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. Does that place them in authority over Jesus? Okay? There's a, uh, a historian or a, a theologian, A.A. A. Hodge, and he, he, he actually was around the time of another guy named B.B. Warfield. So A.A. and B.B. did a lot of stuff together. Um, but A.A. A. Hodge states, when a peasant recognizes a prince 
and is able to call him by his name, it does not give him the right to rule over the kingdom. In like fashion, a church council recognizing which books were God-breathed and possessed the traits of a God-inspired book does not give the church council equal authority with those books. Okay? So recognizing something doesn't place you in authority over that thing. Okay? Second point. All agree... Now, now follow this. All agree that there was no official group, council, pope, or church that chose the Jewish Old Testament canon. You go, what, what do you mean? So when Jesus shows up in Nazareth to read from the, the scriptures, in that synagogue already was a canon of Old Testament Bible scrolls. Who determined which scrolls should be in there? Did a pope? No. Did a church? No. Did a council? No. Well, if God didn't need a council to determine the Old Testament canon, why must we have a council or a group or a church determine the New Testament canon? See, the argument only works for half of the Bible. Okay? Number three. If a church is over the Scriptures, she can and has, she can claim her teachings and traditions are equal to Scripture. We gave you the Scriptures. We are in authority over the Scriptures. We are the ultimate interpreters of the Scriptures. And our teachings are on the same level as the Scriptures. So um, here is a quote from the Catholic Catechism. The church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from Scripture alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So here's the question. Uh, you know, if, if, I, if somebody asks you a theological question um, and you turn to a, a Bible verse and you say, see, it says it right there. If they're Roman Catholic, they'll go, that's great, but what does the church say? Because that's on the same authority. And you go, no, it's, the, it's here in the Bible. And they go, well, you're just assuming the Bible's the only source of authority. Prove that. Well, never thought about that. Well, yeah, God, where do you think you got that Bible? We, Rome, gave it to you. We, Rome, are in authority over that Bible, and our traditions are on the same level as that Bible. What do you do with that? That's what a lot, that's what a lot of people do, and they end up going to Rome. Okay? Now, I would just simply say, okay, Let's play, let's play along. Your traditions must be accepted. What are some of those traditions? Well, and, and this leads to point four, an infallible church can never be objectively corrected. You can't, cor you can't correct a church that's gone off the rails if they're going off the rails must be accepted on the same level as Scripture. Well, like, you, like what do you have to accept? Well, Um, you can't accept sola fide, that you're saved by faith alone. That was condemned. So 
you got a decision to make right now. Are you saved by faith alone or not? You're not allowed to, to believe that you're saved by faith alone. So the scriptura. Is scripture our final ultimate source of authority or is church tradition? You're not allowed to believe in sola scriptura. Veneration of Mary is endorsed. You go, well, I can't buy that. You, you're not allowed to question that. Purgatory. Where's purgatory in the Bible? Maccabees. They would, someone tried to argue 1 Corinthians 3, but that's not purgatory. You must embrace purgatory. Indulgences. You say, well, that was all back in, during the time of the Reformation. Yeah, uh, it, it was, but there are still indulgences today. Things you can do to get souls out of purgatory. You must embrace that. Okay? Infant baptismal regeneration. We didn't baptize those babies today. We dedicated them. But the belief that baptizing them regenerates their soul, you must accept that. The infallibility of the Pope when he's speaking ex cathedra, you must accept that. Loss of salvation, you must. You, you don't get to say, I'm going to be a Roman Catholic and I, d I doubt these things. You must accept them with the same authority that you accept Scripture. Now, I think there's a lot of nice dialogue going on. That's great. But you also need to know what you're getting into. Okay? You need to know the truth. All right, last question. Has God given the church or the Bible as the ultimate authority? Protestants say the church is under the authority of Scripture. Rome would say scripture's on the same uh, or uh, the church is on the same level as Scripture, but once you have equal levels, guess what? It ends up being the interpreter. They are actually over. Which is it, this or this? This or this? Okay. Let me just... I, now, now, this is called presuppositional arguing. I can't... When it comes to this thing called epistemology, how do you know what is true? How do you know that you know what you know is true? How do you know that what you know, what you think you know is true? It's a really tough thing, and you can't argue for an ultimate authority without citing that authority because there's no higher authority to appeal to to figure out what authority. You see what I'm saying? Okay. I'm going to appeal to Scripture to prove that Scripture is our ultimate authority. All right? So uh, here, Paul in Acts 20 29, he's talking to the Ephesian elders. And he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, and then he goes on to say, they're already amongst you. There are wolves in your church who have false teachings. Well, what are we going to do, Paul? What are you, wh where should we go? Should we go to Peter? Does Peter have... Should we go to the church of Rome? Should we go to the church of Corinth? Where, where do we go to deal with these wolves. And now I commend you, I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. See ya. There's wolves among you. Here's the word of God. That will, that will enable you to deal with them. Um, here we see that there were those in authority who were in error. 
So to point to a, a group and say, well, they're always infallible or they, really, there's no way to correct them? Well, here are the Pharisees. Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. In, in essence, to the degree that they line up with Scripture, follow them. Okay? What about they themselves? He says to them, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Those in authority can be way off. How do we correct them? If they say, well, I've, I, I've got the badge, I can't be wrong. Scripture corrects them. Here in uh, Matthew 15, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for not washing his hands properly before he ate some grain while walking through the, the grain field. You break the traditions of the elders. And Jesus says to them, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, be fair, that word tradition, sometimes Paul says, follow the tradition I gave you. So sometimes tradition is good, sometimes tradition is bad. But here, Scripture trumps tradition. Okay. And then finally, Paul is preaching, and uh, it says in Acts 17, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word, the word that he was preaching, with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The scripture is the ultimate authority, even over apostolic teaching that eventually becomes scripture itself. But the go-to is Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Now, here's the takeaway. You go, yep, we won, we won it, we got, we, we win, yay! Got me the right books in the Bible. Go home and read them now. <laughs> Doesn't do you any good to have all these arguments and ammunition be able to argue it, but not know it. Right? God has given us infallible, inspired, inerrant words from himself. He's preserved them over time. He's given us the right books. Now, let's treasure them. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given it, you've protected it, you've transmitted it, you've put it in our language Lord, now move us to read it and to love it and to live by it. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts where we turn off the TV and the texts and the computers and we open your word and we learn about who you are and we love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.